Got some new shit going on here. What the kids call jerry rigging. You got some new shit going on. I feel like the last time you said that, your audio dropped out for a full hour. And that it was... is specifically what happened. <laughs> it was the worst recorded audio we got. <laughs> I mean, the audio was great until it dropped out. Right. That's just like me in college. <laughs> Except you weren't great prior either. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrible in high school as well. I should have just said high school. I don't know. I'm not trying to be a fucking dick or anything. It's just my voice is a lot stronger than yours. Okay. Uh, it's not a power move. It's not a flex. It is a fact of quantifiable science. I mean, we've already learned by now that I think the reality is that the knobs are not equal on these. Oh, there we go. You're giving me a little low end now. Mm, you're using your bar mitzvah voice. No, I just moved the mic closer to my mouth. <laughs> I'm speaking exactly the same way. All right, let me see. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Movie Blues Podcast. I am the protagonist. <laughs> and I am Vanguard. Um. <laughs> you got me good on that one. Um. I, I, I want you to, everyone to exclusively refer to me as Vanguard from here on out. Yeah, that goes well for people, historically. Um, <laughs> welcome to our review of the 2020 Christopher Nolan film, Tenet, um, which was apparently released at some point this year during the pandemic. We did not want to risk our lives to see it, so we did not. Um, we waited until DVD. Um, a movie that made $200 million in the theaters during a pandemic, yet still did not yet break even. Yeah, that's going to be a couple hundred more million. Um, <laughs> because, like, not only that, but the, like every time they had to advertise the movie and put posters up everywhere with the date on it and then redo it, like, yeah. every six months for a half a year. Um, yeah. So the question that we'll be uh, grappling with today is multi-tiered. Um, one of these questions is, of course, what did we think of Tenet? But we're going to save that um, for a little bit because we have some other things to talk about. Um, kind of in queuing up this episode... Um, as you may know, if you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast, uh, a huge inciting event um, for our <laughs> oh, being <man. laughs> in this podcast um, was the film Dunkirk. Um, that's Christopher Nolan's oh, that's last that's so crazy. Film. I haven't even put two and two together. This podcast has officially been going on for a Christopher Nolan slender time. <laughs> We've been, we've been a podcast for one yeah. Nolan. Yes, one Nolan around the sun um, has brought us to where we are today. <laughs> Holy um, shit. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a matter of um, Dan and I went to go see it with our significant others, and we just absolutely hated it. Um, now, I want to do a... We, we being Dan and I. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, our significant others loved it. Um, fair enough. Um and um, before we talk about Dunkirk... <laughs> I believe Kat's description of this movie was it was not as good as Dunkirk. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, um, 
What we want to do here first is talk about Christopher Nolan, because believe it or not, we've never rated or reviewed any of Christopher Nolan's work on this podcast, I don't think, other than kind of just saying we hate Dunkirk. That's about as far as we've ever dipped into the pool. We've said that so many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and while we will alienate any fan of that film in a few minutes, let's start with something a little earlier. Um, I don't want to do the following. I don't care about that. But Memento um, was really the first time I took note of Christopher Nolan. I'm sure it's the same for you. Same. I remember quite vividly seeing this massive, I don't, I guess you could call it an advertisement for it during the MTV Movie Awards. They Mm -hmm. did this very large promo for it. Um, I guess I would have been eight or nine at the time, but they did like, like, it was like a super extended trailer, like 10 plus minutes. And I was like, I don't understand what the fuck is happening in this at all. And I turned to my dad and I was like, we're going to see that in the theaters. And he was like, hell no, we're not. I have no idea what was going on in that at all. But you can rent it when it comes to Blockbuster. And I was like, I will take that deal. Um, And things were barely made clear even after that rental, I'm sure. But um, uh, Memento is one of those movies that is uh, in in completely uh, characterless, emotionless plot mechanism moving in and to itself um, unlike Sorry, any your movie. your favorite actor unlike, unlike any movie that I've watched for this podcast <laughs> and um, uh, you know this was a, an example of Christopher Nolan kind of in his infancy in terms of uh, the complexity the amount of planning um, from a purely narrative point of view didn't um, he have a film before Memento? he did it's called The Following I said we would just yeah. kind of skip over okay. that that's, oh, like, okay. that's like if you want to review P.T. Anderson and spend the whole time talking about Heart 8 I just am right. not with that it's just not a good movie. I saw, I saw the following, I want to say t- two years ago when I first got the Criterion channel. It was on there. Okay. And I don't remember a fucking thing about it. It's it's pretty bare bones. Um, okay. But he did not make pie, right? That was Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Um, yeah. So, um, what That's did you a way think of film. Memento, Dan? What would you give that on a on a rating of ten without having recently already watched it? Um. When I was younger, I liked Memento quite a bit. Um, I'd say the last time I watched it was probably, I know it was after I moved to the city, I I think probably like four years ago. Mm. Um, I think Memento is probably still a comfortable eight for me. I really, really like Joe Pantoliano's performance in that film. I agree. And while I I can't in good conscience like stick to a, a, a rating because it has been as long as like... You know, like, that was in the round of movies with, like, Fight Club and stuff that I just completely smashed into the ground yes. and then didn't need to rewatch for, like, a decade. So I would say, yeah, 8 out of 10 uh, for that. Maybe a 9 out of 10. I mean, Memento it's... was enough to make me on its own follow Nolan throughout his career. Sure. Um, and he followed that up with something uh, that's a little more controversial um, in terms of his whole filmography, but I think is a perfectly great movie, which is Insomnia with Al Pacino oh. and Robin Williams. Yes, a remake of a French film, I believe. Yes, and... Um, a, a film that was panned when it came out, no? Insomnia? Yeah. No. No? No, got I good thought, reviews. I, I saw it in the theaters. I thought... I, I still think... I actually watched that a couple years ago, too. I think it's it. great. Love that movie. Highly underrated in his filmography. One of the last great Al Pacino performances yeah, besides Jack and Jill. Um, <laughs> Uh, and um, I enjoyed that movie a lot. Wait, I Jack th- and Jill, like the Sandler movie? Yeah, you'd, oh, you haven't seen Jack and Jill then, eh? No. Um, Al Pacino plays himself in Jack and Jill, uh, and in, in the context of the movie, he's being solicited by Dunkin' Donuts to be their new salesman. Okay. So there are scenes in Jack and Jill where he's selling um, 
a Dunkachino. It's like an Al Pacino Dunkin' Donuts drink. And uh, he has like a whole song that he sings inside <laughs> of a Dunkin' Donuts about Dunkachino. And, and this and, is a bad movie? No. See, this is what I've been saying all along about this whole Sandler thing is like Jack and Jill is one of my favorite Sandler movies <laughs> because it is sh- utterly shameless. Um, it is the most product placement filled movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And Should we watch it and have Jake Cohen on? The entire plot of the movie, Dan, is that Al Pacino <laughs> works with Adam Sandler and wants to fuck his twin sister. That's the and plot of the Adam movie. Is Adam Sandler playing himself? No, no. Okay. He's playing that, a sad, rich Jewish man. So, yes. So, yes, he is, in fact, playing himself. Um, Is this, like, the prequel to Funny People? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, please, no. It's not. Let's not put it in the category of a real movie. Um, Insomnia, great movie. We both like it. I would give it maybe, like, a 7.9-ish. Like, I don't want to say it's as good as Memento. I'm going to... When's the last time you watched Insomnia? Recently, in the past few years. It's a great movie. I think I'll probably... Also, give Insomnia an eight. Um, I think depending on the day, they could go either way. Where I like it better, like if I had to watch a movie tomorrow, I'd rather watch Insomnia than watch Memento. Yeah. Even though Memento is probably a better movie, it's like Insomnia is much less exhausting. To I watch. mean, and Memento is is kind of like Tenet um, in many ways, and in the sense that once you've run through the maze, like you can continue to run through it, but like it's not going to be something that'll ever be as effective as that kind of first few times when you get hit yeah. with like the mechanics and how everything plays out. And that's just a, a fact of of characterization of the fact that there are times where Christopher Nolan wants to just lean into plot mechanic over story, over are you there- know, basic building blocks that some people think are completely necessary in film and that's why they love Saving Private Ryan and some people are fine with a completely detached narrative and are fine with things like Dunkirk. Um, it's really kind of the difference between the Spielberg camp. I would, I would say that Christopher Nolan is more in the Kubrick camp where like emotion is not the central conceit in any way or the driving element for many yeah. of his movies or characters. It's more circumstance, yeah, mystery, it's very, uh, and it's visuals. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's very, it's like the philosophy of existence and like the most emotion you're going to get is like an exploration of pathos. Right. But um, um, I, I would say, oh, well, have you ever watched the fucking chronologic uh, memento? I did at the time. I, yeah. I I found it to be like trash. A, a good um like supplemental DVD bonus material, but not something anyone should ever watch. Yeah, but like <laughs> as a film, I remember um, when I got the box set. I think I got it for Hanukkah one year, and my dad revealed after the fact that part of his rationale for buying that was that he wanted to see the movie in a way that like he could fucking make sense of it after I made him sit through it. Right, and we watched it together, and he was just like, "Wow, that movie just." Really, it, one of the few like artistic insights I ever heard from my father was pointing out that that movie entirely exists to rest on its artistic laurels, like its mechanics rather than its plot at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, from there, this is like where Christopher Nolan's career, like, really, quote unquote, takes off. Um, from Insomnia. From Insomnia. Yeah. I think um, having made that gave him like sort of the way that like. 
you know, things like Marvel and Star Wars see that a director does kind of one really good semi um, sellable piece of media. And the Trevorrow effect. Again, like, I'm not looking at Christopher Nolan's filmography right now, so if I miss something, like, don't I was going to say, I have, no radio, I have no idea what Nolan's filmography is. Um, so, next, I believe 2005 was Batman Begins. Um, that was next, huh? And um, for me, uh, Batman Begins is my favorite Batman movie. I think it is the most pitch perfect representation of the character like favorite Nolan Batman or favorite overall Batman favorite Batman movie now this is like a hard this is a hard thing to define because there are there are okay here are all the movies that Batman um, is in rate them as films which is a different answer this is I think the best portrayal of Batman and of Bruce Wayne in any movie um I think that they nailed Gotham City the best in this movie that they kind of had ever done. Um, I think Christopher Nolan did very much what The Matrix did, did um, what Peter Jackson did. In he took a literal step that reverberated throughout every facet of blockbuster filmmaking. And Batman Begins, people don't really give... At the time, they gave it a huge amount of credit, but when Dark Knight came out, it washed the entire palette. But if Dark Knight would have never happened and all we had was Batman Begins, people would always look at that as the turning point for um, serious stories being told in superhero universes and graphic novel adaptations. That was the linchpin. That was the turning point. Um, You didn't think they would lament the lack of inclusion of, like, a bat credit card? Yeah, no, I think Christopher Nolan, like, yeah, deleted that scene out of Batman Begins. It was, yeah, it was, this time around, it was, um, a Ridge Wallet. Ridge Wallet. Wallet's for you. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Just yeah, you all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm fine. <clears throat> <clears throat> I give Batman Begins, like, a 9 out of 10. I love that movie. Okay. Um, what about you? Um, Batman Begins is my least favorite of the Nolan Batmans. Mm-hmm. Um... I find it totally joyless mm. and generally just kind of boring. Um, when was the I last f- time you saw Batman Begins? College. Fair enough. Um, I owned it on Blu-ray. I should probably give it. I mean, I don't know. Should I give it another shot? Like, I just don't like. You know, uh, I would it, watch it, it any it's day. Like how much? And I think it's Hans Zimmer's. Not best score from the trilogy, but most unique. And there's a lot going on that isn't. I was going to say that is my favorite score of the three. And I saw Hans Zimmer uh, and like his whole orchestra spiel a couple Mm -hmm. summers ago. And he did some music. He did like a a Batman medley that was like 20 minutes long. It was awesome. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I, we know that hero movies in general are an uphill battle for me. Um, I'm, I don't necessarily feel attachment to any of the Batman movies. Like I, if anything, I like the the Tim Burton, Jack Nicholson, Batman the best probably. I've said but, that for many years, but in rewatching them in recent years, dude, they are they are a mess. Those movies are not as succinct and enjoyable as they once were to me. I um I just find them more fun, which like sure. a, a, a Batman movie with no fun whatsoever doesn't appeal to me, which. But I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't watched it in a while. I just remember feeling that the first act was exceptionally long-winded. Yeah, I mean, they they wanted to do something that no one had ever done. They wanted to show 
Bruce Wayne's training. They wanted yeah, to show that a should, Bruce that was Wayne like pulling teeth for me with pathos. They wanted to show more than just him, you know, more than you reading about it after the fact and seeing one scene of his parents getting killed. You see a connection to his parents that is profound and it kind of directs his character the way that he's going to go in his life. And I think they also do a, a, a great job of painting Gotham City as a real place during that first act. Um, I can see how you would find it boring. Obviously, in a time when um, the MCU didn't exist and superhero movies were mostly <laughs> terrible. Um, I, I like Batman Begins more than any Marvel movie that I've seen. That's an interesting take considering you don't like Batman Begins um, <laughs> besides Guardians of the Galaxy which I like quite a bit more than Batman Note Begins note to the listener Dan has not seen 75% of Marvel films way more I, I probably haven't seen not, I've seen like all of four Marvel movies um, <laughs> um, anyway. I, I would probably give Batman Begins like having with the caveat that I haven't seen it in a while I'd probably give it like a, like a 6.9 6. Okay. 6.8 um, um, which isn't terrible. I just I just don't have much interest in it. But I haven't. I, I never cared enough to rewatch it much. Um, next up, we have two. I, I put it. Hold on. I put it above the Val Kilmer, but just below the one where the animated film where he bangs Batgirl. Jesus Christ, dude. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not even a good take. Um, uh, That's so a Joe Ferrara take. Next, um, we have The Prestige, which came out in between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Um, I think we can do, at least in my case, The Prestige and The Dark Knight simultaneously. I think they're both 9.5s and incredible movies. I will give The Prestige a 9.8 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty flawless movie. The only things that bother me in it are the same things that bother me in every single Christopher Nolan movie. It is terribly edited. The audio mix is very poor. Yes. Um, the plot mechanics override sense and reality several times. It's, um, it is, it is, it is mostly a perfect film, Wait, though. It is probably the, the best The prestige is Christian film. Bale and Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Not the Edward Norton movie that came yes. out at the same time yes, about Dan. the same. What movie is that? It's terrible as well. The Illusionist. The, the Illusionist. Okay. Sucks that those things get confused all the time because The Illusionist is really garbage and stars Jessica Biel. Yeah, that's not a great movie. Whereas The Prestige is is the clone movie, the clone magician yes. movie, right? Yeah, yeah that's I mean, a great. Yeah, know, that's a great movie. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. With Tesla, yeah, that's a that's a killer movie. Just if you haven't seen that movie, ignore when he said clone magician. Uh, that <laughs> is not pertinent to any of the twists in the movie. Um, and what about The Dark Knight, Dan? Um, the Dark Knight is a movie that when it came out, I was absolutely apeshit about, despite not previously having been a Heath Ledger fan. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great. Um, it was also the first Blu-ray I ever owned, so that was exciting. Um, it's also the one I've rewatched the most recently upon recent rewatch. I don't think it holds up quite as much, especially as time has gone on and I've gotten more and more irritated with Nolan's sound mixing. Mm -hmm. Um, that one is a really real struggle for me to get through as far as the EQ goes. Right. Um, I'd say I, I, I give that one and I don't know, like an eight point. Five, but if Heath Ledger wasn't in it, I would give it substantially less because Katie or uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal is trash in that movie. I think she's better. I think that's the one 
improvement. I, I prefer her to Katie Holmes. Not not in the fact that you have to like now see it as a different actor. I don't like that at all. But um, Katie Holmes is an awful actress. Um, yeah, Katie Holmes is quite bad. Um, I just th- that I whole have a series. Bunch of problems Christian Bale's voice is just Dark, so stupid. Dark Knight. Um, it, to me, it's uh, it's a nine point five because it, it is so thrilling to watch, but it is full of problems. The third act is gargantuanly long. The switch from Harvey Dent to Two Face is yes. not oh telegraphed God. right, and the ending is so stupid. Um, the bat sonar thing is stupid looking. Um, his suit is infinitely stupider looking than the Batman Begins suit, which thematically yeah, what is that about? was the best suit because Christopher Nolan was in his at this point a, a sort of brutalist simplistic military design uh, phase of yes, kind of everything that he exceptionally did. exceptionally militaristic, that movie. Um, so uh, that always irked me about that. How and do you still give it a 9.5 and have all these problems with it? Because these problems, like, they, they exist, but, like, I can't deny the power of parts of that movie. And it's, to me, just like... I mean, yes, it is a, a, a complete ripoff of Heat in every imaginable way, even down to its structure. And yes, there are problems that have always bothered me, editing-wise, sound-mixing-wise. Like when Batman's like, Where's the trigger? I had no idea what he was saying during half the movie. His voice got completely away from him. Where's the trigger? So yeah, I mean, no, realistically, I would put it down to a nine. You're right. I mean, there are problems inherent Dude, in it. the ending of that movie is so stupid. Um, I'm going to go ahead and destroy myself entirely here. There are times at which I do enjoy Dark Knight Rises more than um, Dark Knight. Okay. Sorry. No, I, it returns I to all I the have plot no emotional threads. attachment to any of these movies. It returns to all the plot threads from Begins that I enjoyed. It returns to the themes that were set up in the first movie, which I enjoyed. Um, and I just love Tom Hardy. I felt like he really went for it. And I, I the voice, I, say what you want about it. it. It'll always be like in the back of my mind and in my wheelhouse and ability to do. And that says something. Um so, um, yeah, that movie, yeah, the score kind of fluctuates, too, like, in, in the nine range. I don't know where I rate them these days. The last time I did an official rating on it for my blog, I put Dark Knight Rises over Dark Knight by, like, point one or two. Um, and I know people have major problems with I Dark remember Knight Rises. you did that. That was controversial. I remember doing that, and I... I <laughs> that was a galaxy my, brain fucking take. I don't think that I've really shifted too far on that, but, um, you know, I think they're all fantastic movies, and they all should deserve to be seen, um, regardless of their faults, which are the same faults you'll find in many of Christopher Nolan's movies. Dark Knight Rises is exceptionally tripling down on the far right-wing propaganda, and I want no part of it. Yeah, I mean, I never once thought about that until I started talking to you, um, so I've been fine with it for however many years. Yeah, no, I, I... I just found Dark Knight Rises a generally that was of all of them the biggest fuck up with the sound mixing. I could not understand ninety percent of the dialogue. <laughs> I feel like like um, that that sound mixing mix with Christian Bale be like like it's just it's it, like every person has a fucking carnival voice on and it's mixed like shit. Like, that um, movie is hard for me to watch. Um, and then uh, you know in I think in the in between between that and. Uh, Dark Knight was Inception. Um, we got to speed this up. This is taking entirely too long. Um, Inception, I found to be convoluted, enjoyable, a fun mechanism to watch, but did not really engage with me on the level of his previous work. I would give that like an eight. 
When is the last time you've watched Inception? Uh, not recently, but the last time I watched it, I remember thinking this already looks dated. And then... Ne- I, my, Interesting. My issue with Inception is that, and will always be, that... Um, I wasn't ready to see Christopher Nolan do like sci-fi concepts without any representation of it visually. And, and in Inception, they tell you a lot about like, oh, we can go into dreams. We can do this and that. But all you ever really see is like a rotating hallway, a couple buildings fold upside down. Like there's no, the, the opportunity that could have been taken in exploring dreams, I felt like was subverted for just an action movie. Okay. I watched Inception about a month ago. And Leonardo DiCaprio is overrated and bland as fuck in that movie. Yeah. I, I, I watched it about a month ago. And? Um, oh, okay. That was re- very recent. Okay. And? Yeah, Cat had never seen it. Thoughts? Um, I... The movie that we are reviewing today for this podcast has adjusted my perception of the film Inception. Interesting. Um, it's I, rating, you mean? Yeah, I, I was never super crazy about Inception the way people were, okay. but but I also felt that once the South Park episode, Making Fun of It, came out, people were way too hard on it. Um, I find it to be one of the most watchable of his movies. Interesting. I've watched Inception probably ten times, which is a lot for someone whose work is so fucking exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree that... DiCaprio is very bland in it, but I think everyone else is quite good in it. Um, the score is very good, even if it is a little silly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably give... What, what did I give The Dark Knight? An 8.5? Yeah. So I'll give Inception like an 8. Okay. Wait, I gave Insomnia an 8? Yeah. So I give Inception like a 7.9. <laughs> I, I can't remember all these. And honestly, when we put our tenant scores in, I haven't like thought this out to that degree. And it's just, we'll see what happens. But um, after that, um, all we had left, I believe, was Dunkirk, right? And Interstellar. Oh, Interstellar, which I actually really enjoyed until the last like 20 minutes when they fucking kind of blew it. Yeah, and I haven't watched it. You've never seen Interstellar? We had this conversation like three weeks oh, ago. Oh, it's so good, dude. You should definitely watch it. I like really hate Sandra Bullock. She's not in it. That's gravity. So you'll be fine. Really? Yeah, you'll be totally <laughs> fine. Who's an interstellar? Um, Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. It's fantastic. I mean, it's a deep... It is by Wait, far Christopher gravity. Nolan's most... <laughs> It's his most emotional film. It's actually... Dude, that's so funny. ...more about character than it is about plot contrivance, but there are um, mechanisms of time in that movie that he plays with that are really fascinating. Um, There's, like, scenes where they land on a planet where, you know, because of the gravitational pull, every minute that they spend there is, like, 20 fucking years on Earth. So everyone has a family, everybody has people they left at home, and they have to, like do a job that in, includes looking at a watch and watching like decades go by for their loved ones it's what is pretty just harrowing. Like his fucking problem with time well his problem with time is that every single one of his movies addresses it there's not a single movie in his entire catalog that is not in one way or another about yeah. time for someone who's so obsessed with time he has no problems just wasting tons of it in each <laughs> fucking movie <laughs> um, and that uh, takes us to Dunkirk um, I'll give Interstellar easily like a 9 it's a fantastic movie I'll give it a nine, too. Thanks, Dan. Um, <laughs> and uh, that leaves us off with Dunkirk, which I'm going to give, like, a f- five. 
Okay. That's the best I can possibly give it because it is a failure on many fronts. Yeah, I was gonna give Dunkirk a four. Um, An emotionless disaster. Of a I film. felt absolutely nothing. I've never felt less during a war movie, even war movies that I can't stand, like uh, like that fucking Nicolas Cage, like early two thousands war movie. You know what I'm talking about? Not We Were Soldiers. It came around the same time. Uh, uh, the thi- uh, not the thin red. Not line. the thin red line, which is a great that's movie. That's a great movie. Um, I can't remember. Oh, Wind Talkers. Jesus Wind Talkers. That's a shit movie. Yeah. Um, even that, while being a shit movie, had great action. Everyone so, just go out and watch Jude Law's Enemy at the Gates. Enemy at the Gates, great movie. Fire. Um, Ed Harris is fire in that movie. I f- I find it borderline impossible. To make a boring war movie, like most the most boring war movie I can think of is Tigerland, which is still an amazing movie. Right. Um, but now Dunkirk. But Dun- <laughs> yeah, but Dunkirk, and and the the time shifting plot device was so ham fisted in there and did not service the plot whatsoever. Just joyless. I hated it. I, I give that like a four. Dan, are you ready to talk about 2020's film Tenet? Yeah, yeah. I was under the impression I liked Chris Nolan's catalog much more until we did that previous exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think in doing that exercise, I've realized, I mean, that, that I love it even more. That's an interesting response. Um, so I feel like first we should put our cards on the table. I want to put some physical facts down on the table, okay? Um, Go off, King. Um, I watched this movie in two sittings. One in which I watched one hour of it, and one in which I watched an hour and a half of the second part of the movie. Um, okay. I watched this movie on an 86-inch TV <laughs> with um, f- a Klebsch sound system that is absolutely massive. Um I downloaded a 16 gigabyte rip of this movie. Uh, I downloaded that, the same one after you told me you did that. That included uh, um, the aspect ratio changes. Um, yes. I'm glad you watched that too. Um, and um, here's what I want to do before we talk about our actual feelings on Tenet. Um, I want to talk about some things that are, in my opinion, above the discussion or critique of the film. Um, okay. The first of those things is the audio mix in this movie. <laughs> um, the audio mix in this movie was absolutely harrowing. Um, the first hour of this film, so night one for me, I have ne- I have not night one felt, of your two night run. I have not felt the sense of bewilderment. This is when you go to night one of the show and the and the band on stage. Let's say the biscuits for a good example sound like four people. Just hypothetically, <laughs> sound like four people playing four separate concerts for two full sets, um, and none of those concerts are good or have any thematic relation to the other. Um, in this analogy, I'm basically trying to say that the audio mix in this movie. Um, was exceptionally bizarre. Um, (laughs) And now I've seen all of Christopher Nolan's films. As we've gone through, we've talked about how some of the audio mixes in these movies are questionable. There are lines from The Dark Knight that I had to put subtitles on to ever fully hear for the first time. Um, I know that's the case across most of his movies, but we're talking about a 
a smattering of lines. We're talking about a smattering of moments that eventually your brain adapts and it never fully um, turns into a disaster. The first hour of Tenet is baffling in its mix. And it's not only that, you're also being hit by things that you need to hear, things that you want to hear, but you're not hearing. Um, yes. My wife was driven fucking insane <laughs> by the first hour of this movie. I cannot describe how frustrating it was. We did change the settings on our speakers, which I consider a form of cheating, like when you change your video options to watch Speed Racer. Um, you shouldn't have to do any work to hear a movie. Um, and this movie... With that said, you, you should also... There should be the caveat that you have brand new speakers that are not broken in yet. That is true, but also accept the caveat that hundreds of critics complained about this. Like, yes. I, my favorite movie critic on the internet, his first review of Tenet during the pandemic, I think I told this to you at the time, he said, I'm not going to give a rating because I truly don't understand what anyone said in the first hour. And he saw but, it in but they Dolby redid, Atmos. They redid, the they redid the audio mix for digital. Allegedly. I'm not entirely positive of that, actually. Um, I, um, I did... Put a lot of work into adjusting the EQ on very well broken in speakers. More work than one should have to. Um, given the controversy about the mix from Jump Street, I was expecting it to be worse, but it still was at least bad to the degree where my third note just says, the audio mix, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> now, a part of that audio mix, um, there. this is twofold. Um, the first fold is uh, Ludwig Göransson's score, which is, in my opinion, phenomenal. Superb. Um, it is full of backwards notes and backwards synth lines. Dude, the and synths are so, like, sh like, I got, like, a Shining-esque vibe with the way they were building intensity with just, like, this, like, low, you'll have this low, like, toms, like, timpanis, fucking timbales, all these low-pitched drums just like and then the synths will just come in with like Now, this is one of Like, so fucking uncomfortable the most dissonant chords I've ever But the problem is that while this score is fantastic, the mix is so abrasive that like I've never gripped my volume microphone, uh, yes. my volume remote, harder than in watching this. Movie. I actually marked down my um, my spread of volume numbers <laughs> on my receiver. This 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 movie that I downloaded the absolute top shelf digital mix of. I went all the way from volume level thirty one to volume level fifty six. It's so perfect. I mean, it's so true. It's just, it was a disaster. Every Damn. every time that there would be, it was that classic Nolan, like, a, there's just a, this is a film that is filled with dialogue dumps, like eight straight minute dialogue dumps where you're like, all right, I like have to crank my speakers <laughs> to, un, to follow this quick paced dialogue. And yeah. then it's an establishing shot, usually of like a fucking mountain or like a, a lake or something. And it's just so fucking loud. <laughs> like it would, it would, it would shake my whole house. If yeah. I wasn't anticipating a scene change on two separate occasions, it changed. And from the drums kicking in, a dog, a neighbor's dog started howling. Yeah. My dog was very upset with this movie. Yeah. Um, that is fold number one. Fold number two 
um, is that not only are you contending with a film that is extremely heady in its ideas and extremely convoluted while also being deeply ambiguous, but you're having to deal with characters in every situation of obstruction in terms of talking you could physically imagine. <laughs> you had ca characters talking with masks on, characters talking while eating, characters talking while whispering, characters mumbling, characters talking on walkie-talkies, characters, characters talking during high-speed fucking car chases, characters whispering over cell phones, characters <laughs> talking over a loud score, characters talking over loud vehicles, characters talking over a plane crashing into a building. <laughs> dude, dude, characters the talking on one is so funny to me. <laughs> characters talking on the deck of a boat, characters talking in a helicopter. <laughs> Characters talking on a small speedboat. Characters talking, literally speaking backwards. <laughs> Characters talking, speaking backwards, translated into speaking forwards through a crackly radio. <laughs> <laughs> Characters talking with accents, wearing gas masks, running through an exploding airport. <laughs> These are just some of the examples of obstructions Dude. that I noted. These are the only notes we, I took. So, so we talked about this super loud score. Dan alluded to both um, moving vehicles. There is a scene that features three high-speed moving cars with one of, with tons of dialogue with one of the loudest moments of scoring in the entire film, in addition to just constant engines revving and highway traffic. Uh, I shit and, you not, guys. There is the a scene. airplane crashing. Dude, hold on. The airplane crashing into the building is, I'd say, is easily the loudest scene in the movie, and that is without the score, which is three times louder than the airplane crashing into the thing, and they're doing fucking dialogue dumps during that scene. There is a scene in this movie where two of the main characters who are opposed against each other in one way or another are on a boat, which is a giant, like, probably $15 million, like, wind sail boat. Uh, with like oh, eight dude. passengers, they're going I had over. They're going no over. Idea what was going on? In this scene. <laughs> they were going like over a hundred miles an hour in these giant wind boats and having a conversation. In this conversation, one character turns on the other and attempts to kill them. But because I couldn't hear what was being said, I had no context for what was going on. It was. It was unbelievable the situations that Christopher Nolan <laughs> demanded that you would have to strain to listen to in this movie. It was it was a test. Dude, that, that scene was specifically the one I wanted to call out of the one where I stopped. Like the whole time I was like being very forgiving and being like people are exaggerating about the about the uh, the audio mix. And then that scene, it's like for, for our listeners, you know when you take a cell phone video and you're out in the wind and you go back to listen to it later, and you're like, oh, this is the limitations of a cell phone camera. This is why you don't use a cell phone to record audio for things, because all I'm hearing is wind rushing around. Right. This is what that sounded <laughs> to like. To the millionth degree. <laughs> while there's a pivotal scene in which a character tries to murder another character, and from my perspective, all that happened was that character fell off the boat. It wasn't until two scenes later where they discussed it, because, dude, the character falls out, and then one of the other characters goes to save the character, and then the 
character who apparently tried to kill the first character starts yelling at our protagonist. I have no idea what I have she's no yelling. Idea what was said. No, she's no. yelling yeah. at the top of her lungs. I don't know a single word she said. And I, and I was like, I was like, oh shit, they're really worried about that guy who fell out the boat. And then cut to the next scene. He's like, you tried to kill him. And I'm just like, wait, what? Yeah, I literally was like, wait, what? And let me tell you what did not aid in any of these processes. And this is the other thing I want to address before we review 2020's Christopher Nolan's Tenets. Um, and that is the editing in this movie was so bad. Like, like at points, things were happening that I thought were just insane from an editing point of view. Like, there's a scene in this movie where John David Washington is, like, literally walking down a hallway from left to right. And then they cut, and he's walking down the same hallway and is coming from the same direction. It's like you're watching yes. the exact yes. same two shots cut in a row yes. for absolutely no reason. Dude. Um, once again, Christopher Nolan wants to pull a big one on you in terms of audio because, like in all of his movies, when these lines are being like muffled over a time travel radio, um, you never are looking at the person's mouth who's talking. They love to cut constantly in the middle of sentences and, and and okay you're watching Christopher Nolan movie so they're like in the French Riviera and one person is in the middle of saying a word and they cut and when they do the reverse shot you have a totally different view of this French Riviera so your eyes and your whole brain disconnects for a second in the middle of a word and and there are so many instances in this movie where, first of all, I don't know what Christopher Nolan's deal is with gunshots and with shooting people. He edits them in the strangest ways. It's always so muffled, so bloodless, and you never see a squib. You never see a person actually get shot. The most they did in this movie, now keep in mind, Dunkirk was a movie in which 1,000 people were shot and none of those things happened. There was no blood, no squibs. You never saw a single person take a bullet in that fucking movie. I, I've seen it one time and I can guarantee that um, and this was the same way where like anytime somebody was getting shot it was st- they would cut away and it's just like Christopher Nolan was like what if I make a war movie where no one gets shot and there's no action <laughs> and you never in Dunkirk see the enemy either there's no enemy soldiers in Dunkirk I don't know if yeah. you remember that this is like this- do I remember that it was how- <laughs> to, to be fair that could have gotten cut right. in exchange for the numerous landscapes of someone sailing a boat as well as Tom Hardy flying a plane. Because <laughs> there was tons of that. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, the editing in this movie was hilarious at times. I couldn't believe some of the things that uh, he chose to do. Um, are we, like, are we going to get in, like, uh, yeah, how about spoilery happen, are we going to be? Like, are we going to get into, like, the general conceit of the thing? Because that's, like, really where the editing, I feel was so close to succeeding in his vision and just in so many ways failed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of a particular scene. I'd like to jar your memory of a scene in which the main female protagonist is shot by a character or reverse spooky shot. Um, so this is what we call a spoiler, guys. Yes, sorry. Well, I mean, I don't know. Don't listen to any of our fucking episodes of a new movie if you don't want <laughs> yeah, spoilers. That's a like, huge mistake, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> like, it, like, why would you? Like, I don't listen like to I don't listen to recaps of last night's baseball game if I don't want to know what happened in the baseball game. And put the podcast down and watch <laughs> It's not worth it just for new content, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so that scene where it's like the the glass dividing them and it, it's like the first time where you really see how it all works where you know what I'm talking about yeah mm-hmm. the turn what the fuck dude with the editing in that scene 
Uh, just what the fuck with it, just so many edits in this movie. I wouldn't even know really where to begin with it. It was really funny. It was funny. <laughs> and it was funny to watch Christopher Nolan. <sighs> all right. We, all right. Let's just do it. You ready just to review so, 2020's so Tenet? Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The fucking most fucking thumb up his own ass heady fucking whatever. Just whatever. <coughs> Dan, what are your non-spoiler thoughts on the entire film Tenet? Um, this movie mm-hmm. is to, um, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> oh, sorry. Let me start over. Okay, go if, ahead. Go off, King. If, um, what's the, what's the other? Inception. Let's call the Inception Christopher Nolan's West Wing. So oh, the I West Wing. so far. The West Wing is to Aaron Sorkin what Inception is to Chris Nolan, whereas this movie is to Chris Nolan what The Newsroom is to Aaron Sorkin. I do not like Newsroom. They are exactly the same degree of self-indulgence and trying to triple down on a groundwork that you have already laid out and just... To, to to the degree where it becomes self-parody. Mm-hmm. Like, every time I watch the newsroom, I'm like, wow, this, this is like someone that parodying. That is true Aaron Sorkin parody. Aaron it's like Sorkin. It's like the sorkiest fucking Sorky-like. It's so bad. It's so cringy to watch newsroom, honestly. I hated that show and watched Dude, every episode. The, the, it's, like the, it's like the editing. Like, The West Wing, <laughs> I know you've never seen it, but it truly takes it, it really pushes you to the edge of your patience with editing within like what is essentially like a boring white house drama right the one-liners are constant the just the jokes are constant the back and forth is so unnatural the fucking editing the cuts are so fucking frequent but it just pushes you to the edge where the show itself is engaging enough that it like really puts you into the drama of the situation and it serves the purpose whereas the newsroom is somehow there's 10 times more edits there's 10 times more jokes everyone speaks in one-liners even if their character isn't supposed to be funny no matter how serious the situation is and yet the plot itself is inherently exceptionally boring and there's no stakes whatsoever. They're just reporting the news. <laughs> like, so, so I'm assuming this is segueing into a negative review of Tenet. <laughs> Tenet was... It, it's, I, I had a note here that if it was not Chris Nolan making this movie, uh-huh. there's a chance I could love it. Like, if this was, like, a director's feature debut... Right. I'd be like, oh, these are some really bold choices. But because it's Chris Nolan making it, I'm just like, dude, like, we already know that you can do this. Uh-huh. It, it's just, it's, I, I was rolling my eyes into the back of my fucking head at what <laughs> should, like, right. on paper and theoretically uh-huh. is like an achievement of filmmaking. There are scenes and there are con- conceptual elements that are executed visually that I'm like, I've never seen that before. Sure. But I've, I've never seen a film full of elements that I've never seen before, yet all of them feel so fucking painfully familiar because I've seen Inception ten times. Right. Sure. Okay. Do you want to ascribe a rating or review to this in terms of Golden Guns? Um, I... 
I don't. I give this movie like a six point seven. Cool. And that's like with the caveat that like I I this is the first Chris Nolan movie I've ever watched that I have no interest in rewatching. However, I, besides Dunkirk, however, <laughs> I feel like I need to rewatch it with like subtitles on. Well, because, yeah, that's that doesn't count though. I don't think. <laughs> like, there was so. Mm much dialogue in this film mm-hmm. that it felt like he purposely and spitefully was responding to everyone complaining about his audio mixes by being like I'm gonna make my most dialogue heavy film ever with my most intense score ever with the most gunplay the most high speed chases like right, it's just the loudest movie I've ever seen <laughs> there are scenes where characters are in airplanes or helicopters and it sounds like the windows are open. Like, it's just jet engines. It's, it's, it's fucking bonkers. And, like, there were visual elements that I really loved. The intro scene, I was like, okay, I'm on board. There are a sh- crap ton of extras in this. This is pretty impressive, just the general scale of it. Right from Jump Street, I was like, I understand why he was pushing so hard for this movie to be seen in film in IMAX. This is not really a movie designed to be seen in my living room while I can dick around. Right. Like, this is supposed to be, like, a big event. And that intro scene, I was totally sold. But just, like, <clears throat> it's it's a recurring theme in this podcast that I hate dialogue dumps. And if it takes... And, like, th- the first act is so much exposition yet somehow done over the course of like 12 different set pieces there are characters being introduced every fucking 30 seconds in the first act i had just had no the pacing was so fucking bizarre and then it just crawls to a glacier pace for like the subsequent hour like within the first 20 minutes he's in like wherever like the opera house that it starts in there's a big scene there he wakes up in some cia headquarters all of a sudden he's going to tokyo all of a sudden he's going to france all of a sudden he's going to fucking morocco all of a sudden he's meeting this indian woman yeah fucking all of a sudden uh who's his like fucking main partner who was the other actor in this movie robert pattinson robert pattinson yeah robert pattinson's involved and like they go from not knowing each other whatsoever to being, like, ultimate homies who trust each other within, like, all of 30 seconds through some sort of conversation that I couldn't understand what they were saying. And all (laughs) the only thing I got out of it was that he suggests bungee jumping, and then all of a sudden they're slingshotting their bodies into fucking people's windows. I was just like, what the fuck is happening in this movie? And then I was like, all right, you know what? If it's going to be this quick pace, like, still, I'm on board. And then it just slows to a fucking crawl just to jerk itself off about its fucking time-lapse effects. Mm-hmm. Once they, like, beat into death the fact that, like, okay, we're going backwards and we're going forwards. Like, imagine how spooky would it be if, like, it's not the where, it's the when. Like, as if we haven't had that fucking conceit in a thousand fucking movies just without $200 million behind them. Mm-hmm. So then the first time it ha- so in the first time that they illustrate this visually is in that intro scene when you see the bullet suck out of the seat in the theater and I was like okay I have no idea what's going on but it's a Nolan movie so of course I have no idea what's going on visually that was very cool then when they explain that what was happening was that it's like 
<laughs> it's it, it's a bullet with like reverse inertia or something it's like entropy this, is, is yeah it's entropy has been polarized like that was such a fucking slacker ass explanation to the situation mm-hmm. like he's like they're like no it's not moving back in time it's moving it's moving correctly in time but it's entropy has been reversed like that's some straight bullshit scientific <laughs> jargon that does not stand up to logic whatsoever that's <laughs> I, like I, I agree yeah that that's like me on mushrooms at age 19 being like what if like the world's really what moving what's moving and i'm moving backwards um and then like the first time they showed it visually with the you know explode like a car driving in reverse and there's explosions it's basically like any movie where you've ever watched something play out in reverse like a rewind effect that is 30 percent of the second two acts of this movie and at first, I was like, this is really cool. This looks cool. I really hope he doesn't, like, fucking harp on this, like, fucking crazy. And my hopes were shattered. <laughs> um, I um, was completely broken by this movie. <laughs> um, and I fucking loved it. What? I love this movie. Um, I can explain how. Um... As I said, and as I will agree with you on mostly everything you just said there, um, I I was tortured by the first hour of this movie. Um, I was bewildered um, at the lack of respect that a director was having for his audience to make a $200 million mega epic to unite the world through a pandemic. Tenet is the most bizarre choice <laughs> you could ever feasibly imagine. It is the most cold uncomfortable completely devoid of human emotion type of movie that you can imagine it's dude it was James Bond with time effects but the thing if you're gonna make alright so that's if the first decent comparison you can make so the thing with James Bond and me is that um I have a list of like very short list of things that need to be achieved for there to be a good James Bond movie does it have a good villain this movie had a fantastic villain. I, thought, I hated this villain, Dan. I thought it. It's such Kenneth, a fucking comical Russian par- like caricature. I thought that Kenneth Branagh was really good in this movie and went off appropriately and was a very sinister villain. I enjoyed his performance a lot. It's um, so unbelievably stereotypical. Um, and um, I, f- I feel like anybody with a Russian accent, you can just say, is stereotypical. I, I thought his backstory and what they fleshed out about him and his involvement um, with the time travel elements was very interesting. Um, Can you explain to me? I'm trying I was to. trying. I was trying to be compelled by his backstory, <laughs> but I couldn't understand what the fuck he was saying. What was ha- he? Dis- he like was he's, he's he was digging and he was, came across like plutonium or something. He was digging in a massive nuclear um, like fallout zone and uh, found the first. A piece of technology sent from the future back in time to start making communication um, with him, essentially. Um, and he immediately kills his boy. <laughs> the, the, the movie, like, um, has a really weird first hour that is hard to grip onto and it's hard to make sense of. And I, I do, I am thankful that I had a night to sit and just kind of think about what I had seen and what I, I was not understanding. Um, when I came back to the movie the second night, that hour and a half I thought was staggeringly fun. I was completely 
aware of everything that you've mentioned. I do not think that this is a perfect film, but what I do think this is, is a very fascinating closed time loop story um, that has multiple layers that I think rewatching it will unveil, especially about the character Neil, um, who I thought Robert Pattinson played really well and was very charismatic. Um, Every twist was so fucking predictable from an hour before the ending, Dan. In terms of other Bond elements that you would judge that on, the locales are fantastic. If you want to say the time travel stuff is technically the gadgets or the technology, I found the conceit of it very hard to believe, but when my brain settled into it and watched what Christopher Nolan did with little to no CGI um, in the entire film, and the amount of thinking, forethought, planning, and deep commitment to what may have been very alienating and not very filmic or interesting ideas, but ideas that are just like, when, when I used to write when I was a kid, and you create like a trap, essentially, like just something that is airtight and completely insane and has to be viewed as an achievement in and of itself. Um, I found that as- aspect of this film more engaging than Inception, because Inception, I've always had the issue of the representation of dreams being the least interesting version of that possible. And while this wasn't very flashy, particularly, again, it's brutalistic it's very military looking it's very brown and gray and etc i found the execution of all those technologies and the vagueness about you know them even being invented potentially in this loop because as you find out in the film and as i guessed from the first 11 seconds of the movie the protagonist of the film is the guy who's ultimately created tenet and done all of these things in the first place um Which, like, yeah, I saw a lot of those things coming because I've seen movies like Time Crimes that do what this movie tried to do, like, a hundred times better and with way less bullshit, way less exposition, way less nonsense. What I liked about this movie is, A, that Christopher Nolan... You can't even say triple down. Literally, like, a million down on all of his bullshit to the point where... (laughs) To the point where, like, I was like, okay, this is, like kind of punk rock like the dude literally is like i'm gonna come out and just like literally indulge myself and again we've watched once upon a time in hollywood we watched movies where directors indulge themselves and i literally just want to shoot myself in the head the whole time and granted if the first hour of this movie would have continued in that fashion this would have been way up in the in those rafters with movies that i never want to see again that do you remember what our scores were for once upon a time in hollywood like 6.5 ish I, i can't I can't score this in the same ballpark as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is substantially better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, uh, and I think so. All right, I'll like I'll move this to a six point nine just to differentiate it. But a good sign dude, of a movie that I really like is the research that I like try to look into afterward. <laughs> and I didn't have that much time. I mean, I watched it last night, but like there were little details in this movie that lend to theories and ideas that I think are super duper fascinating and yeah it's all plot and yeah it's it's there's no like real connection to be had to this movie other than wow look at that intricate machine but I think that machine that was presented to me was fascinating and was coupled with visuals and set pieces that really rocked me. By and machine, it, you mean the plot device, or do you mean the actual literal ridiculous like Wheel of Fortune spinny no, wheel that no. is the machine that allows you to time travel in this movie? No, 
I mean, it, and again, like, it is ridiculous, but it's obvious that Christopher Nolan doesn't want it to be, like, a guy in a DeLorean with fucking jets. You know what I mean? It, he wants it to be as brutal and minimal and simplistic as possible. And that's not what I prefer, which is why, like, when people go nuts about uh, Denis Villeneuve, I'm like, I love his movies, but they don't look to me that great like Blade Runner 2049 is an amazing movie but it doesn't look to me it just looks drab a lot of his stuff and like the Dune trailer incredible but also it just looks drab like that's just their styles that's what they want to do and I don't love that about Christopher Nolan but I've gotten past it and I just felt like this movie was like literally a kid playing with his toys and it was cool to see that Christopher Nolan's brain can operate not only on a script writing point of view at this intensity, but also the mounting of this movie and the way that they were shooting things without digital fuckery is just a massive achievement. Um, I really love this movie. It was really cool. This movie literally has a moment where the main (laughs) character gets frisked on his way into a dinner with the antagonist of the film and turns to the guy who's frisking him and says, hey, at least buy me dinner first. <clears throat> yes, that is, uh, that is correct. I'm sorry, Dan. I wanted to, you know, we obviously have been on a, a several-year journey where we wanted to hate this movie, um, and I tried real hard. And after the first sitting, I, if, I never saw the rest of it, which I did not want to at all. Um, I would have been like, like that was the worst Christopher Nolan movie ever made, dude. Um, but cat, I cat. loved what it ended up. I loved also, and you know that I love when movies do the third act coalesce into violence and insanity type thing. And I yes. thought the entire build up to that, and also as you're watching those scenes, seeing other details, like you see a, a three different Robert Pattinsons in that last scene, and it starts to become clear that this movie is in this closed fucking loop that has so many intricate pieces that go through every single scene of the movie, and I just appreciated just the... Here's the the thing, Dan. It was audacious. Dan, here's the thing. You watched the movie, like, in an isolated form, you watched the good part of the movie. As it's a, practically as its own movie, like you watched the good part <clears throat> by itself the second day. I feel like the, this is a this valid movie criticism. on its own. If you watch this from front to like, dude, we got through the end, and like, you know, Cat doesn't usually have the most to say about a movie after we watch it. Beyond like, I liked it, I didn't like it, but we were talking about it. It was just like, if the first half or the first hour wasn't so fucking exhausting right. and full of needless exposition dump, what I assume is exposition dump, if I was able to hear it, then, like, I could really have appreciated a lot of what happened in the next hour and a half. This movie, there was no reason for it to be this long. There was no reason whatsoever. There was so much talking in the first fucking hour where, like, there was shit that was explained and then re-explained but can I just say one thing about better that, though? later. Like, yes, that is true. I agree with you 100%. But in that first hour, which I did, you know, watch separate by a day. So I, I hear you on that criticism. It does make sense. Although I will gladly rewatch this movie in its entirety front to back. Um, and I'm and, and looking forward to it because that first hour, while it was torturous, it included like easily 10 to 15 scenes that 
are directly happening as a result of what they are doing with time travel later in the movie. And on a rewatch, that hour is not going to be a because B now you know the entire plot of the film, so it's not going to be as bewildering. B because maybe you'll have subtitles this time around, and C because. When you rewatch this movie, much like Memento, there's going to be a good debt paid in terms of that first hour being full of fights, moments with characters that you don't see. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know who they are. You don't know why the Russian guy has any connection to them. About any of them. I know, but I will upon rewatching it. And this I, is I a movie where that. the stakes on paper are that the entirety of existence is going to be blinked into oblivion, and I just didn't care. It felt like there were no stakes whatsoever. I stopped it, caring about the that. movie. Just purely existed to showcase. Like I feel like no one showcase thought of the visual of the people running backwards fighting the people running forwards, and was like, okay. Let me run with that and just build around that. <laughs> it took him 10 years to write this movie. I know, I know, because I was like, so like, I was, we, we started this movie at like 5.30 p.m. so that I could like watch the entire thing. And then like, I, we were so predetermined to hate this movie that I really, really tried really hard to like it. Yeah. Like I went like above and beyond to love this movie. Right. And even in the first half hour, I was like, I despise the pacing of this, but like, I like the first scene so much that I'm going to ride with this. And I was just like, it's so shockingly trope heavy. And I just hate the way it describes its stakes all mm-hmm. the time instead of making there be any emotional attachment to it. It's like, it's like, it's practically like the end of exi- humanity's existence is a MacGuffin in this movie. It just, <laughs> it's, it's bonkers. I think that there is a, a great effort to downplay and, and make and to make ambiguous any of the biggest sci-fi elements that were in play and again that's something that i don't love but for me yeah it was just a, a matter of seeing something that was just like it, it audacious is the best word because it at many times was just vomit and in in its in its abrasiveness in its visuals in what it was trying to convey amidst so many distractions and so many MacGuffins and so many fetch quests that <laughs> literally the wheels once the wheels flew off it, it dude it was like martyrs bro like seriously two hours into this movie martyrs happened and I went to a Christopher Nolan zone where I was like dude I don't even know anything about what the fuck I'm watching anymore I am going to need to read a book to really fully figure out like at no point in this movie and still to this day like a day later uh, have I figured out like how anything related to reversing the entropy of something could be even remotely possible to exist in the same time frame restricted to an item like a bullet or a human being I mean it just makes fundamentally so little sense it's just a movie where Christopher Nolan is jerking the fuck off all over you the whole time and and I drank it I drank it and I swallowed it you did and And I would imagine it would be much more digestible if you watched it in two sittings but the very first time we are presented with them explaining the concept of the reverse entropy and the implications of it all where you know as any time travel movie does unless it's like primer it has to lay out the rules and the rules were presented with there's under no circumstances may you interact with yourself while dealing with the time travel yeah, thing. Yeah, what happened with that? <laughs> and then, then the whole the movie entire everybody's third act. Like, what? It, it, it's discovered that, like, yeah, that every piece of action that happened in the first fucking... The main character <laughs> fought himself, like, seven different times. 
every fucking no-name yes. character that was uh, fought. Yeah, what was that about? And dude? every unexplainable car that showed up, it turned out, was its own character. But the very first main rule we are given is that if that happens, the whole thing's fucked. Right. But then it turns out that the entire plot is contingent upon that happening repeatedly. Okay, here's the other fucking thing that this entire plot hinges on. The main antagonist, who is the person who has understood this time travel element and its existence for longer than anybody else on the planet to the degree that there are entire organizations built around t- like taking him out and keeping him from his grand ridiculous master plan um, who has managed to foresee time in such a degree where he is able to set the most elaborate fucking traps involving his wife and the protagonist and the organization of Tenet um, that person uh, decided that he, while having control of going anywhere in time, decides that he's going to execute his master plan at the most recent instance in which he and his wife had a loving conversation. Yeah. His wife, who he is involved in this entire thing, who he knows despises him, who he has brought into a situation in which she is trying to take him out. He's going to choose to go back to a time where she was present. Yeah. And uh, and that let, he let alone her. he wanted let to alone a time. Yeah let alone a time that the whole idea is that it was the last time that he felt love from her, yet all we have been shown, be it in the past, the future, whatever the fuck, he has hated her the entire time they've been together. He has nothing but fucking disdain for her, but he's going to choose to end his life the last moment that he felt remote love from her. The one place where it would occur to her to track him down and foil his fucking plan, it's so stupid, dude. So, so did Kat like this movie, or? No. No. Me and Rachel no. both loved it. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's Dan, and I'm being 100% honest here, my dude. You're overthinking it. This movie is begging you to (laughs) overthink it. All he wants is you to think about this movie, and it doesn't hold up to scrutiny even slightly. No, it's not meant to hold up to scrutiny. It's meant to be like, like looking at a Fabergé egg. In, a, in like a glass case It's not uh, meant to be pulled apart It's not meant to be smashed I don't agree with that at all I bet if you ask Chris Nolan He'd be like No, no, this is a puzzle That I want you to unweave Well, I will gladly do it I've done some fun research on it I found out like what the title means Which I didn't really know And think about um, In terms of like It's the word 10 Spelled forwards and backwards Which at one point in the third act That is the crux of the action Which is 10 minutes forwards For one team 10 minutes backwards for the other Um, The theory that has been racking my brain the most that I think is fascinating um, is that Robert Pattinson is, in fact, the character Kat's son. um, And there's tremendous evidence throughout the movie to suggest that. And that um, that's kind of why there's that weird moment at the end where they really focus on her, like, interacting with her son. He's got the exact same hair as Robert Pattinson. His name is Maximilian. Um, his character of Robert Pattinson's character is named Neil, which is the last four letters or whatever of Maximilian. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of evidence that shows that, yeah, he grew up, you know, knowing that he was going to get into this loop. He's the one who um, unlocks the door for the protagonist at the end. That's why there's like three of him in there, because he's... This sounds like me explaining the ending of Bly Manor, just FYI. I, I hear you. I hear you, <laughs> sister. Um, and, um, yeah, it's a movie that I think should be unpacked. I think everybody should check it out. 
Um, it is not for everyone. It's a very hard movie to get into, but at some point it worked a tremendous spell over me, and I really enjoyed it as just an exercise in utter insanity, and I really recommend it to you and your grandma. I, I really back to you, Dan. Fall, I really hate falling back on the <laughs> on on the idea of like we're often saying like if they just shaved an hour off of this movie or forty five minutes off this movie, it could have been a good movie. And I try to avoid doing that because I feel like something that would have been of, possible here. In a lot of ways, it's a cop out. I I I feel it's completely possible because literally the first hour of the movie is the second hour of the movie on top of it. The two timelines literally run parallel to each other. When you rewatch the first hour of the movie, you will watch essentially their mission in reverse. It's I the- understand that, but a lot of <laughs> that, an hour doesn't need to be an hour long. It could be 20 minutes long because half the time they're explaining rules that they break fucking an hour later. So I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 on the Golden Gun rating scale, which is only one and a half more than Dan, but enough to make him possibly can consider eating his cyanide pill tonight and um um, oh my god the cyanide the metal cyanide (laughs) maybe instead of barreling back through a ton of cliches with this movie we should do a segment you want to do a little segment dan something fun instead of torturous dude like what whatever like what what what, talk about cliche like the entire movie is predicated upon the protagonist gets selected for the secret mission because he was willing to kill himself rather than fold under torture. And like, what if all of his teeth out, too? Like, why would anyone yeah, ever work for someone who did that to you? <laughs> never mind. He was committed, that, dude. Never mind that he's the one who founded this organization. I thought he was like, kind of, his performance was flat, too. I didn't love him in this either, John David Washington. I thought he was just. What, yeah, what was there to love? His entire. Robert you could Pattinson, tell, though. You <laughs> could tell Nolan's direction was like, look, in this scene, you are fighting yourself. You may not smile. I know it's I know it's ludicrous. You may not show emotion. I'm going to need you to button your suit after you finish punching him, please. There are so many smart suits in this movie. Um, Dan, uh, the name of today's segment is, is this a review of Tenet from Rotten Tomatoes or a review of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace? Okay. <clears throat> a soundtrack attached to an incoherent set of moving images. Uh, Tenet. <coughs> that is Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> I, I much prefer Star Wars Episode One to Tenet. Burdened by exposition and populated with stock characters. Tenet. That's also Star Wars Episode One. The I'm, do- glad, I'm glad that this is proving every argument that I made, though. <laughs> I know. I, I, that's why I thought you'd enjoy this. Uh, the dialogue isn't the issue. The acting really isn't the issue. Nor is it any single annoying character. There's no sense of wonder, no yearning, no spirit. Tenet. That is also Star Wars Episode <laughs> 1. <laughs> Everything in this film exists in a bright, noisy vacuum. Star Wars. Correct. An amazingly disappointing film experience. I mean, if there's one that could be both, it's. But I'm gonna say Star Wars. Yes, correct. I'm what, sensing a theme here. What strikes you is how determinedly bare of feeling it seems, even when emotional opportunities present themselves. Tenet. That is Tenet. Yeah, that it, that sums up this movie perfectly. It goes on and on without generating suspense or building excitement. Star 
Wars. Okay. <laughs> Despite all the exposition, it also can feel very confusing of who is doing what and why. Star Wars. Yeah, that is Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> the film has elaborate set pieces, but lacks a story that makes a lick of sense. Tenet. That is Tenet, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it has almost impossibly high expectations tagged onto it, and unfortunately did not scale the heights it was hoped or expected it would. Star Wars. Star Wars. Grand cinema. I don't agree with that. <laughs> Grand cinema fueled by big ideas is undercut by frustratingly poor storytelling and dull performances. Repeat that. What was the first half of that sentence? Grand scale cinema fueled by big ideas is undercut by frustratingly poor storytelling yeah. and dull performances. Star Wars. That was Tenet. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it should be Tenet, but I felt you were pulling a fast one. It is not remotely <laughs> devoid of value. It's just that none of this value... <laughs> it, That's a fire It's just that none of this value comes from plot, character, or capacity to provide entertainment. Tenet. That's Star Wars. Oh my god. <laughs> At what? best... If, if anything, Star Wars has too much plot. At best and worst, a mediocre film. A boring adventure undermined by anemic theatrics and the rusty artistic tastes of its maker. Okay, hold on. So, at best and worst, a what a film? A mediocre film. That is such a fucking jerk off sentence. I hate that reviewer. Fair enough. How can something... Dude, I hate... No, I'll put, that's I'll so put your review. I'll put your review up. <laughs> at, at best, it's mediocre, and at worst, it's mediocre, so that means it's both great and terrible. <laughs> you idiot. Uh, <laughs> fucking... <laughs> Star Wars. That was Star Wars, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, few more here, sorry. Um, the added visual depth does little to disguise how flat everything in between is. Tenet. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to, to discern precisely where this all went wrong, and even more difficult to speculate about possible improvements. Star Wars. Correct. <laughs> the visuals are indeed eye-popping, but I was left with no vested emotional tie to either story or character. I mean, that's how I feel about Tenet, but I'm going to go with Star Wars. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Three more. <laughs> um, charmless. Sex <laughs> sexless. Passionless. And robot humored. It's preposterously uninvolving. I hope that's Tenet. That is Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> Why would anyone want Star Wars Episode One to be full of sex? There is no romance. Sex. No humor. <laughs> Ultimately, no one to care about in this oddly sterile movie. <laughs> Star Wars. Yes. One last. Who one. are these reviewers who this just want there to be like a from in the middle of Phantom Menace? It's a movie. It's a movie about a kid pod racing. <laughs> there was not enough sex there, there in Star was Wars no episode sex one between Jar Jar and the blonde kid. I um, wanted them to bang. Um. Uh, and the final one, 2.5 out of 4. 
Tenet. Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> <laughs> I think I failed that game. Yeah, yeah that was a tough one, man. Um, so yeah, the the way that that segment came to me is I was I was watching like a critical review of Star Wars Episode One in the background while I was cooking, and I was just hearing the audio and had just watched the first hour of Tenet, and was just like, oh my god, I've never heard a more similar like breakdown. Why like, were you watching that? Oh, I love stuff like that, but we don't have to get into that now, Dan. Save that for a side piece. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. It is full of flaws. It is completely absurd. It is full of logical inconsistencies. It doesn't hold up under scrutiny. It is full of wooden, sterile, <laughs> sterile performances, but it was absolutely riveting to watch. I love the score. It was just an, a completely overwhelming, sensual fucking gangbang by Christopher Nolan, and... I recommend it to only people that like movies that make your head feel like they're, it's literally going to explode. I give the score to this movie a 10 out of 10. <laughs> I will say that. I loved it. I just, I don't understand how in a time travel movie, you only give one rule, and that's don't interact with yourself. And then all of the plot twists are that he spent the entire movie interacting with himself. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I also cannot get over that. Like, what were it's the ramifications like, there? None. Dude, like, there's Why even have probably, that line in there then? There's like, someone get who probably got line. paid like 200 grand to be the script supervisor on this film. Dan, any final thoughts on uh, this week's selection? I really, really wanted to not be one of these people who are passionately shitting on Tenet. You are I, now, like, baby. At this point, it was like the contrarian move would be to love Tenet, I felt, mm-hmm. with the initial reviews I saw. So that was my goal. And I tried, man. Sorry. And like, I went, I, perf- I purposely, I told you right before I watched it, I didn't know a single person who was in it. Until mm-hmm. you told me that Robert Pattinson was in it, I hadn't seen a trailer besides the teaser we saw in theaters. I knew nothing about its length. I knew literally nothing about its plot. Mm-hmm. And I, the, as soon as it came in, and it was like, what's that guy's name? John David Washington? Yeah. That's Denzel's kid, right? Yes, sir. I was like, oh, I love that guy. He was phenomenal in Black Klansman. This is going to be great. Um, and it just was not. It was so fucking weird. It was just weird. It was like, I felt like Chris Nolan was going out of his way to, like, spite the audience. Me too. It was like punk rock, man. I enjoyed it. It felt like just, like, the culmination of... There's, like, the point in Chris Nolan's career where he just started being like, look, I'm really fucking smart. (laughs) And, like... I mean, that, I think... You guys guys realized I was smart from Memento, but now I have a lot of money. So yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna be Definitely. really smart and visually striking. <laughs> and this that time, sounds great to me. This time he was so up his own ass with like, oh yeah, look at those effects, man. Yes. That video blowing up, that video, that building unblowing up is so fucking cool. Dude, he was literally remaking like scenes from other of his own movies, but bigger. It was wild. Like the the scene with like the five semi trailers and the and the um truck was like exactly like the dark knight but batman he was just like yeah. i just want to like do the same scene i already did but put eight more trucks in it it was absurd dan <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment in this movie where, Loved it. where john david washington throws a briefcase to another car by just throwing it going 100 miles per hour and no, bouncing no, no, no. it off the hood of a middle car it was not that that is 
they practiced doing that in the movie, throwing and accepting items with the entropy reversed, that you have to just think that you can catch it, and then because the entropy is reversed for you, it will actually catch in your hand. Check it out, ChristopherNolan.com backslash truth. <laughs> Get the truth on Tenet. It's a good movie. Don't listen to Dan. Um, or listen to him, because honestly, it is a deeply alienating film. So um, it may not be for everyone. I don't think it is going to be, um, but I'm going to historically I mean, it's not, it's stand on the side of movie, this being man. a very, very cool movie. It's not... It, yes, it is definitely a cool movie. It is cool to look at. I like cool. It is not a bad movie. Like, we have watched numerous bad movies. Yes. It's just... You know, I honestly we're, think we're, this we're is one of the best where, movies we've ever where watched. Three hundred and fifty million dollars could have gone a long way in this country, <laughs> <laughs> but it went to some smart suits, baby. <laughs> Dan, you want to send a baby back to nineteen eighty-three to live your entire life all over again, and then that baby grows up into a version of you that does a heist at an opera house, <laughs> which leads you to a secret item that's part of nine items spread across the world, and like they use them to like travel. Oh time my with. god. I forgot about the Horcrux part. Baby! <laughs> <laughs> Baby! <laughs> 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 <laughs>